If you'll turn with me to John chapter 20, please. We're looking in our series on preparing for Pentecost, which is in two weeks. And uh, God is still pouring out His Spirit, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to be a part of it as well. You know, I think of it as when we got saved, we get the Holy Spirit. But when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets us. And it's much better to be gotten by the Holy Spirit than to just get the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, um, and as grateful as I am that I have the Holy Spirit in me, I live to allow the Holy Spirit to have me and to make a difference in my life. And as we're preparing for Pentecost, we've been looking at uh, the need for us to obey. And last week, um, and by the way, if you weren't here last week, I just encourage you to listen to it online. Uh, to me, it was one of the best messages that I've ever preached. Um, I'm just going to go over a few things and then we're going to move on. But um, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that obedience to God is how we show we trust Him. Okay? If, um, if God asks us to do something and we don't know that we can trust Him, we're not going to obey. But when we know that we can trust Him, we'll obey. So obedience is our way of showing God that we trust Him. But obedience to God also requires that we relinquish control of, of our lives. Oh, that's hard to do at times, isn't it? Because if you don't trust God, then you have to take matters into your own hand. If you can't trust people, you have to guard your heart. And we know that we can't trust people, so we have to guard our hearts. But then when we get saved, we still have that little bit that we won't give to God that he wants. And so it's important that we give him our heart. We give him our all. We trust him. And um, we have to come to that place where we do trust him. And I think these two areas are areas that we all struggle in. I haven't met anybody who trusts God the way they should. I want to get there. I'm not there yet. But I also want to be that type of person that relinquishes control to God. That, you know, we sing songs about Him being the main thing. Well, I want Him to be that in my life. Being raised in this world will cause us to question everything. Coming to the place that we, and, you know, we may not have said this word for word, but our actions certainly depict it. Trust no one. You know, because there are a lot of things that happen to us in this world and a lot of crazy things. And so we develop that mindset, trust no one. Uh, especially the ones that we cannot see. <laughs> like God. And that brings us to John 20, verse 29. And this is in the middle of him appearing to the disciples. Uh, Thomas wasn't there, but then he appears again and Thomas is there. And um, Jesus invites him to put his hands in his nail prints. And so this is Jesus' response to him. 
John 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, you, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Whew. Because, you know, it takes faith to believe God. It takes faith to trust in Him. It, it, it's not natural to us, so we have to develop that. We have to learn that. To even trust God is a battle for us, but when we win that battle, what joy there is. Because this world teaches us not to trust anyone, our hearts become fearful and suspicious. So we have to take control of our life. And we shared last week about the fear and control and, and how they work together in our lives. Because when we don't know that we're loved by God, then we, we operate in fear. When we don't know that God has his best for our lives, we operate in fear. When we operate in fear, we have to control the circumstances of our life the best that we can. And the best that you can control them is nothing compared to what God will give you if you will trust him. But we have to work through that process because we are fearful and we are control freaks. I mean, that's just how we are. We read where 1 John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear. And that's us needing to come to know the Lord. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 1. And while you're there, just a reminder that we looked at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 27 last week. And it was the comparison of the wise builder who obeyed and the foolish builder who didn't obey. Okay? And it says that the storms came and the winds came, the rains came and beat against the house. And the wise man who obeyed, his house stood. The foolish man who didn't obey, his house didn't stand. And so that's why it's so important for us to obey the word of the Lord. And then another reason to obey the Lord is because we're going to give an account of our lives. One day we are going to stand before him and we're going to have to give an account for our lives and how we live them. And for some reason, I think many of us live as if we don't believe that. We think that we can do whatever we want to do and God just has to tolerate it. Well, God is not into toleration. All right, you're at James chapter 1. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And so just think about that for a moment. He's saying if you're not doing the word, you're deceiving yourself. Or if all you're doing is hearing the word, you're deceiving yourself. And there's a lot of people in that category right now. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And so if we're not a doer and we're just a hearer, we're only hearing while it's being spoken. But then as soon as it's done and we walk away, we forget. We forget what God has just said to us. 
We forget the promises He's given us. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Everybody says perseveres. I don't like the fact that James put that in there, but it's necessary. Because it's not just looking once. It's continuing to look. It's looking into his word on a regular basis. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. God so longs for us to obey him because he knows that is what is best for our lives. Because he loves us so much. He will not make us or force us to obey him. It will have to be our individual choice. As great as it is for us, as wonderful as it is to walk with God, if you choose not to, he'll let you. And the qualifier, we looked at some scriptures last week, and you can look at this all through the scripture. The qualifier is, what are we going to do? There's a big if there. If we obey his voice. If we obey his word. Just as James said, if we become a doer, not just a hearer. That's a choice that each and every one of us has to make. And I want to encourage you to make it. It's worth it. All right, you ready for some good news? All right. Obeying God is very costly. How about that for some good news? Obeying God is very costly. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your finances. It will cost you your desires. It will cost you your strength. Because when you get done obeying God, you're going to be wiped out. It will cost you. If you're going to obey God, I promise you this, it will cost you your comfort. Woo. Some of y'all say, I'm, I'm out. It will cost you your convenience. It will cost you to have headaches and heartaches. You can't obey God and not have headaches and heartaches. Because when you obey God, you're going to be helping somebody and people will cause you heartache and a headache. Promise you. If you haven't experienced that, you haven't helped anybody. You haven't obeyed God. If you obey God, it will cost you your sleep. It will cost you your understanding. You, you know, that's the thing that amazes me the most about God. He doesn't ask me if it's okay with me. He doesn't ask if I understand. He just says, do it. And so my understanding has to be set aside. I mean, think about Peter in the boat with the other disciples 
the waves are beating against it and they see Jesus walking. Who's the only one who got out was Peter. But Peter had to put his understanding aside in order to obey the word of the Lord and, and walk on the water. But let me tell you, nobody else did that because they were all looking at it, trying to figure it out, trying to understand it. And Peter was the only one who said, hey, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come. Be careful what you ask for. Because <laughs> then Jesus said, come on. But Peter, and so when we obey God, it's going to cost you your understanding. It's going to cost us our everything. And I just want to tell you this, over and over and over and over again. Not just one time. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, this is kind of a, I love this scripture, but it's kind of a strange way that David put things. But we're coming to the place in 1 Samuel 24 where David sinned. He did something that the Lord told him not to do. Okay? And then the prophet came to him and said, you have three choices to make. And he picked the third choice and it, it wreaked havoc on, on the people. And then David was before the Lord and, and pleading with the Lord because 70,000 Israelites died because of David's sin. And so he goes before the Lord and he's like, you know, hey, can we put an end to this? And God tells him what to do. And so he had to go to this place. So he's not even in his home place. He had to go to this place by the threshing floor. Okay? And then offer a sacrifice to the Lord. So we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 20. 1 Samuel 24, 20. Now, as we read, I want you to listen for David's heart. Okay? 1 Samuel 24, 20. And when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And so David is approaching this guy's home, his house, his farm, his livelihood. And this guy sees David coming, the king coming with all of his fanfare. And so he's, he's thinking to him, something's up. So he goes out to meet him. Verse 21, and Aaron said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the, flesh, the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aronah said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the for the wood. All this, O king, Aaronah gives to the king. And so he's understanding. Aaronah's understanding what's taking place here. And so he's offering all of this to David so that he can make the offering to the Lord. He is willing, which is amazing to me, the heart of Aaronah to be willing to do that for King David. Okay, verse 23. 
while we're in, in that. All this, O king, Aronach gives to the king. And Aronach said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24. But the king said to Aronach, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David understood. David knew what was going on. And this is David's heart. He's like, God, I can't take his gift. I'm going to buy this so that I can offer it before you. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea of the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Obeying God is going to cost us. It is very costly to obey God. But I want to tell you, the benefits of obeying God is nothing compared to the cost. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, please. Hebrews chapter 5. I mentioned some things that it will cost you if you obey God. And so to cheer you up, I want to give you some more. Think about all that I mentioned before, but this as well. Obeying God will cost you your reputation. People will say all kind of funny things about you when you start obeying God. Woo. When you begin to obey God, you will become misunderstood. Count on it. I mean, look, the world doesn't know the things of God. And so when you simply say, well, I'm obeying God, they're looking at you like you're crazy, like you've lost your mind. And they're going to misunderstand you. So I just want to forewarn you, if you're going to obey God, be willing to be misunderstood. Aren't you glad you came this morning? If you obey God, it is going to cost you your rights. You don't have rights with God. You don't own him. He owns you. You didn't die for him. He died for you. His blood was shed. Therefore, he has a right. And we've looked at scriptures in the past that indicate that. But, you know, sometimes in our minds, we think that we have a right. No, you don't. You don't have a right. Well, God, I, I don't like it when you call me to do this. It doesn't matter to him. He has never checked on me and said, do you, do you agree with me? Would you like to do this? He has never done it like that. Obeying God will cost you your friends and your family. Obeying God may cost you your job and it may cost you your life. 
and there's more. But I'm, I'm just trying to get us to understand that obeying God is costly. It's going to cost you something. You can't just simply obey God and think that everything is going to go hunky-dory. That means real good. You know, in our minds, we have this notion that we declare to God that we're going to obey Him and then we're waiting for those red petals to fall to lead us in the direction that we should go. And if they don't arrive, we get all bent out of shape. Well, God, I'm just trying to do Your will. Did you make it to Hebrews chapter 5? Good. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, to God, who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Huh. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In other words, he's asking the Lord, he's asking his father, I don't want to go through this. It, let me find a different way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he's praying about this because he's asking the Lord to save him from death. And it says, and the Lord heard him because of his reverence. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus die? Yes. I'm telling you, obedience to God is costly. But it's well worth it. Now, I bring this up because I just wonder if you've ever considered this, that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, wouldn't you think that he learned obedience from the miraculous things that he did? I mean, because the scripture says that they knew that God was with him because nobody could do what he was doing unless God was with them. And so even the people knew that God was with them. And so here are a few things that Jesus did. And, and I surmise to you that he did them out of obedience to the father because he says, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. So if he did these things, and I'm only going to list a few, not all of them, because nobody can, but I'm going to then he did it out of obedience. Well, wouldn't that be good enough? I mean, think about this. He healed the sick. He walked on the water. He fed thousands twice. With nothing. Or very little, I should say. He caused the blind to see. He healed the outcast who had leprosy. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And it goes on. I mean, the list is unending. And to me... I would say that Jesus learned obedience by doing these things. But that's not what the Scripture says. The scripture says that He learned obedience through the things that He suffered. There's a difference there. 
Think about this. That means that all the beatings, the plucking of his beard, all the humiliation that was before him as he was beaten and put on the cross, the nails that were driven into his hands and his feet, the hanging on the cross and dying like he did, all of that constituted suffering and obedience. And that's how the scripture says he learned obedience. Now, I. When we suffer, the scripture says that we would we should suffer for doing good for obeying. But there's a suffering that occurs from sinning. And so I don't want you to think uh, if you are sinning and you experience these things that you're suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering for sin's sake. Okay. So don't confuse them because there's a big difference here. It's easier, and we still don't do it, but it's easier to obey God when things are going good. When all the conditions in our lives are right. When everything seems to be going our way. It's easier to obey God then. It's smooth sailing then. You know, when you have no problems, no cares in this world, and you're obeying God, you think you're on the top of the world, and what could ever happen to you? And you're enjoying, you're obeying, and please do. Because it's important that we do enjoy the obedience then. In Matthew chapter 7, it says that the wise man is the one who builds his house on the rock, according to the word of God. And then when life comes, then when the storms of life come, he can stand. And so there's a necessity to build our house. There's a necessity for us to obey before the storms of life come. But we have this notion in Christianity that as long as we're obeying God, then nothing evil shall happen to us. And I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's not true. If that were the case, Jesus would have never died. I'm grateful for the miracles because it testified that God was with him. But I'm also more grateful for the fact that he died for me. That his blood was shed for me. That I could be saved. That I could be set free and loved by God. And so the real test of obedience is this then. Are we still willing to obey God when things go wrong? When we experience the fury of hell and the enemy and the resistance that the enemy throws at us, are we really going to obey him then? It is easier to say that you love God and you're willing to obey Him when your marriage is going great, the kids are wonderful, your health and your finances are doing great. But what happens when they turn sour? What happens when you lose a spouse or one of them wants a divorce? 
What is your faith like then? What is your obedience to God like then? When your kids walk away from God, what is your faith like then? When your health fails you, and, and you know what? Keep living. If your health hasn't failed you yet, just keep living. It will. What is your faith going to be like then? Maybe when you lose your finances, what is your faith going to be like then? What is your obedience going to look like? Because it's easy to say that you have faith when all of that is taking place, but it's another thing to say that you have faith and to have strong faith when your faith is being tested. Sooner or later, we are all going to experience something of the testing of our faith or the testing of our obedience. And we have to, at that moment, answer the question, do we still trust God then? Will we keep our faith then? How about when we've lost our job unexpectedly or you lose a child unexpectedly or you lose a spouse and, and you weren't planning on it for that time? Or you have an accident and physically you're, you're challenged now. What happens then? We will all encounter the testing of our faith or the testing of our obedience just like Jesus did. Think if you were the disciples. And I mean, this you can read it and find out this was their mindset. Man, they were thrilled when Jesus was doing the miraculous. They were thrilled after two and a half years and they're seeing all that Jesus is doing and they're like, man, this guy is awesome. We're sticking with him. And then those same disciples who have been around Jesus, watched him do these great things, all of a sudden they see him being willingly beaten willingly uh, stripped of everything, humiliated publicly. Can you imagine what they're thinking now? Man, we put our hope and our trust in him. And now they're seeing this. And then, if that's not bad enough, they hear the nails being put through his hand on the cross, and then they see him lifted up on the cross. Those that remained. I mean, it's great when things are going good, but what happens when things aren't going good? Is your faith going to remain? They were totally caught off guard. And I wonder how we would respond. How do we respond when life happens to us? How is our obedience when all hell breaks loose in our lives? We stopped at Hebrews 5.8. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Remember, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Verse 9, and being made perfect, 
He became the source of eternal salvation to all. You know, a lot of us just like to put that period there. He became the source of eternal salvation to all. But it doesn't say that. It says to all who obeyed him. Verse 10, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Sooner or later, we're going to go through things that will reveal whether or not our faith and our obedience are real. How are we going to respond during those times? I want to encourage you that if you will still obey Him during those times, you will come to know God in a way that you will never know Him any other way. You will find out that He is more real than you ever imagined in your life. I mentioned last week that in our obedience, that's how we get to know God. But I want to kick it up a notch that when you obey Him through the hard times, through the difficult times, when the storms of life come, when you obey Him then, you get to know Him in a different manner. Better than getting to know Him when you're obeying Him because everything is going great. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. We read later in this chapter, so we're going to start James chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And we'll just stop there for a moment. The dispersion that he's talking about is them leaving Jerusalem because of persecution. They're not having a fun time right now. The world is coming against them and they're being persecuted. They're being beaten. Their, their whole life is being turned upside down. What they knew, they don't know anymore. And so James is writing to encourage them. And so he recognizes, first of all, the condition that they're in. And then notice verse 2, how he responds to them. And I just have to ask this question. Are we going to respond like this? Okay, you ready? Let me read verse 1 again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. Here it is, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Woo! I would, you can put in there just sufferings. How do we respond? Do we count it all joy? James is telling them, count it all joy when you're experiencing these things. Woo! And it's plural in this. Trials of various kinds. So trials is plural and kinds is plural. And in between that is various. 
And how many of us say, Lord, I just can't take anymore. And, and we have all of these things coming against us and it's like, God, I just can't handle it. If one more thing happens and then boom, what happens? One more thing that you didn't count on. It happens. Are you going to count it all joy? Verse 3, and this is why we're to count it all joy. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Isn't that wonderful? And and you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want any more steadfastness. Let's just put that on a pause for a moment. Let me breathe. Let me come back to get my strength and stuff. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So there's testing of our faith. How do we show that our faith is real when it's being tested? You obey God. You still trust Him. And then verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and I wish they wouldn't have used the word perfect. It just means mature. You come to the place of maturity and completeness because it doesn't matter what's happening around you. You're trusting God. You're obeying Him. You're still obeying Him. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're closing with this. Another words of encouragement. Aren't you glad you came today? You say, well, somebody asked you, what did you learn today at church? Obedience is going to cost me. All right? And then when they look at you perplexed, say, but it's well worth it. All right? It's well worth it. Obedience is going to cost you. But it's well worth it. First Peter chapter 1. I think he was talking to James when he wrote this. Or he read James's letter. This is amazing to me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? What a way to start a letter off. Elect exiles. In other words, you were chosen to be an exile in the dispersion. In other words, you were forced out of your homeland. And then he names these places. Verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God. Did God know that they were going to be exiled? No. He knew that they were going to be elect exiles. (laughs) Because he chose them. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So even in their struggles, even in their trials, their their different kinds of trials, He tells them, you were set apart for obedience unto Jesus. Woo! Hallelujah. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, 
He has caused us. Everybody say caused us. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> so he's letting us know we ought to. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? In other words, he's not saying that you're not going to stop with us, but he's saying that if you'll keep the faith, the testing of your faith, are you going to remain obedient even though you're facing various trials? If you will, God's going to be glorified in you. He's going to be honored in you. The revelation of who he is is going to be seen in your life. That's amazing to me. And then he says this in verse 8. Now remember John 20, 29. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him. You believe in him and, rejo and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the, the salvation of your souls. I'm telling you, obedience is costly, but it's well worth it. And learn to obey God when things are going great. Which is what he said in Matthew chapter 7. Build the house before the storms come. We have it backwards as most believers. We don't do anything while we have the opportunity and then the storms of life come and then we wonder, God, where are you? And it's too late. It's much harder to build then. It's much easier to build in non-conflict times. Establish your faith when things are going well. Give God praise. Give God glory when you obey Him and He responds. But then also, when the testings of life come, and they will come, when you still maintain that obedience, God will be glorified even more and you will know Him even more. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can stand with me. Woo!
It has been my pleasure to cheer you up this morning. But I'm here to tell you that when you start obeying God, all those things that I told you are going to happen. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be talked about. But it's well worth it. It is well worth it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this day that it belongs to you and that we get to be part of it, Father. And because of that, we're going to rejoice and be glad. We may not, may not be glad in the experiences we're experiencing, but Father, we're glad that we can trust in you. We're glad that our faith and our hope can be secure in you. And Father, I thank you that you are working in us to obey you when things are going well. To establish that obedience when things are well with us so that when the storms of life come, we're going to stay strong with you. Our obedience is going to get even stronger. Our faith, is, even though it's going to be tested, it's going to come out stronger because we know you better. And you're going to be glorified in us even more. We give you praise and glory for that. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. All right, moms, continue to have a great, wonderful day. And uh, don't forget about the potluck and jewelry next week.